WandaVision has been one of the more fascinating MCU projects, well, ever. The introduction of X-Men's Quicksilver adds a multiverse wrinkle to things, so let's discuss what this all means. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. We're off today for President's Day, so we pre-taped this episode and decided to have a little fun with WandaVision. So here to help us is dutiful WandaVision recapper, Sean Keane. Welcome, Sean. Thanks for having me. Are we technically speaking from a different reality then, since we're, you know, this is from a different time? Kind of? A different time for sure. I, we'll see what happens on Monday. We can't really predict what's gonna what it's going to be like on Monday. We might be in another universe. I don't know. Ooh. Clearly, Marvel is having some fun here, uh, teasing or potentially even breaking open the door to the multiverse with, with WandaVision. And full full spoiler alert, um, the, the, the last episode aired on Friday, so we're running this on Monday. So hopefully, if you are watching this, You've already watched it, uh, but this is just a bit of a warning. We are going to go into spoilers. We're going to speculate about the whole show. So if you haven't watched it and you do intend to watch WandaVision and specifically the latest episode, stop here, go ahead and watch the show, and then come on back. So uh, with that aside, let's let's jump into it, Sean. The, the last episode – well, let's get – actually, let's talk about episode five and the ending of episode five. And that's when we got the introduction of Quicksilver. And Quicksilver, not played by the actor who was in Age of Ultron, whose name now escapes me for some reason, uh, but actually by the X-Men universe's version of Quicksilver. A, an interesting wrinkle, a very interesting twist uh, that has all kinds of implications. So what did you think? How did you react to that that big moment at the end of episode five? Yeah, it was it was wild. I mean, like when when the the doorbell rings or the, there's a knock on the door i can't remember i just got really excited I was like oh who is this like is this going to be pietro and it was and it was just like with it just gave me the sense that like it it's all fair game like any marvel cinema now it feels like we could we could see reference which i love i love the idea of them acknowledging all that history um and from a business point of view it makes a lot of sense too. like get people to watch all those x-men movies like uh dark phoenix which was one of the last x-men movies set in that universe didn't do very well in the cinema and it's just i think people are so invested in the marvel cinematic universe that anything from outside that feels inessential at this point uh but now i suspect people are going to revisit those fox x-men movies which there are a lot of good ones some bad ones some really bad ones but generally worth watching i would say right and i love the way it was framed because uh, initially you see the back of his head it's the white hair you're like oh it's clearly quicksilver and I assumed it was going to be, I looked it up, Aaron Taylor Johnson, who played Quicksilver in, or Pietro, in Age of Ultron, and then turns around and it's Evan Peters from the X-Men version. Uh, and, and he comes in and it's it's great. And we'll go into episode six, but the way they, they, they kind of present him, he's, he's that, you know, the quirky brother-in-law, the sort of outsider character that comes in to, to shake things up in a family sitcom. Uh, which itself is a is an interesting and well worn trope. Um, yet another one that that uh, WandaVision gets to play with. But what did you think about that and and you know the the way it played out in episode six? Yeah. Uh, so I think every fan for the last week has been thinking, 
what's he going to be like? Is it going to be? Is he going to have his X Men memories, or is he going to slot in with the MCU version? Who? was killed in Age of Ultron. Like, he had one appearance and he died. Where the X-Men Quicksilver, like, was in multiple movies and I think made a much bigger impression. And it's, it's hard to tell, like, whose personality he has. He clearly has the MCU version's memories to some degree. It's like Wanda has, or whoever is really masterminding all of this, because it could be Wanda... It could be someone else, but so it seems like he has had those memories implanted in the X-Men body, but he says it's kind of fuzzy, so it may not take fully, and that's really fascinating. Yeah, there's there's one scene similar to, you know, Wanda's vision of, well, vision being dead earlier this, uh, early earlier in the series, there's a quick sort of snap scene where you see Quicksilver you know, dead, uh, with, with shot with bullets, uh, similar to the way he died in Age of Ultron. Uh, but he does have the personality that's more in line with the X-Men version of the character. So it's this, as you said, this interesting hybrid. I just found it interesting that this all came from this kind of, I don't know, I don't really exactly know the, the details of the origins, but this like feud between Disney and Fox and this idea of being able to use Quicksilver there was like a legal arrangement that allowed both Disney and Fox to use Quicksilver in different iterations. And they came out in relatively short succession, right? The, those two films. Is, uh, yeah. Uh, Days of Future Past, I believe, and uh, Age of Ultron. Uh, and like that weird legal workaround that allowed these two studios to employ two different versions of the character at the same time is like come around and they're basically using this as a as uh their entry into the multiverse i just find that kind of interesting because it was ultimately kind of like a like a legal rights a copyrights issue thing and somehow they they took that that weird situation that really awkward situation and like they took advantage of it and actually made the most out of it with the show right yeah it's it's like they uh, they they took a messy situation because it definitely felt messy at the time to have two very similar characters within like a year of each other making their movie debut. And exactly. It's like, it's, it's paying homage to the past as opposed to brushing it under the carpet, which is a really cool approach. And it also opens the door. And this might be wishful thinking on my part, but I can't imagine I'm alone in thinking this, um, that this opens the door for, those X-Men or them to cherry pick characters from that X-Men universe to bring them over as opposed to rebooting them and like having to reestablish the X-Men again, which I find a little bit exhausting. Well, so I, I had an interesting theory after watching this episode. Uh, There's a bit of dialogue between um, uh, it was, it was around Monica and her blood cells and the fact that her being in the hex in that zone uh, more than once has changed her her molecular structure, which suggests or hints at potential superpowers for her down the line. But uh, I'm curious if you think that being in that hex zone and, and having your cells being rejiggered or changed, if that is somehow a hint or a clue at potentially like where mutants come from, which would be an interesting twist if all of this sets off the the or introduces mutants to the MCU where in the comics 
famously Wanda was responsible for eliminating the vast majority of mutants. And I just realized how, how deep a cut that was from a, from a geek perspective. But I wanted to get your, your, your thoughts on that idea. Right. That would be very cool. Yeah. So if she basically created mutants within the MCU with that hex or she or whoever is responsible for the hex like we can't it, it seems like there's something else going on and it's not just wanda but if this situation whatever it is create a mutants that would be pretty cool uh to have a definite origin point and if it, it gave the sense that like it might have been partially pulling from that x-men universe mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. yeah this is kind of yeah a- I, know. I feel like there's 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 something fitting about that if that that's how it plays out. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Wanda. Is I mean, obviously the uh, pretty much the halfway point of the show with with Monica, she she kind of suggested it was all Wanda's fault, but uh, there are reasons to believe that that's not the case. Right? She's she's shown um, that there are things that are out of control, stuff that she's not even quite sure of. Uh, she seems to be in control some of the time, but not others. What what do you think is going on there? It seems like her powers have limits for sure. Like she can't really control her twin sons. Uh, like they, it's a, like they're like normal kids, and that they obey sometimes and disobey others. And in episode six, when Vision started to leave the center of town and get out to the outskirts, he encountered people doing weird things like they were in sort of behavioral loops or standing completely still and um so it's which by the way it was super creepy oh, that <laughs> as he got further and further away from like the center of town and things just got they got darker people just sort of started saying still uh that yeah that that's like that's when it was like for one they framed this as a halloween episode which was fantastic and then like the, the just the upping the creepiness factor as he got further and further away was was kind of a nice touch yeah especially the the lady who is like hanging the decoration on the line over and over yeah. and, it's, and she has a tear coming down her face is harking back to uh norm oh if yeah. when uh, vision released him or woke him up in the la- in episode five yeah and like he clearly there's some kind of underlying trauma that maybe is closer to the surface when they're outside some radius of wanda wanda talk about agnes as well because vision finds agnes at the the edge of town uh she seems to also be caught in that you know that uh, mindlessness once she's out of the range but clearly we've seen in some instances before where Agnes is around she's seen the kids age uh, she had that whole character break moment in that last episode what, what do you think of Agnes is that uh, is there more to her than meets the eye I think so like I th- when I saw her at the edge of town and the way she, Vision also woke her up but there was something about uh Catherine Hand's performance there that suggested there was like, I don't know, it was too quick or something. It's like she's faking it, totally faking it. Uh, and the question is, is she in control of Wanda or is there someone else? I, or did she make some kind of deal with Wanda? Uh, because she's also like in a witch she has a witch hat on, uh, which is just a little bit of a hint. It's like, mm, mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. is she magical in some way? Right. And uh, the the running theory is that she is Agatha Harkness, uh, a witch in the comics who is linked to Wanda. 
Gotcha. Well, uh, that will remains to be seen. We've got three more episodes to kind of figure that out. Uh, one thing that a uh, bit of dialogue I want to move on to, Monica sort of hinted at a friend who had a way back into the, the hex zone. Uh, this was sort of hinted at last week. I think you suggested it might have been the Fantastic Four's Reed Richards. I, I suggested maybe it might be Riri Williams, uh, Ironheart, who we know will have a show on Disney Plus down the line. But uh, she did mention, I think she mentioned a he yeah. in this episode. I mean, do you think it's, you think Reed Richards will, sh- will show up? It wouldn't be unprecedented. Like, Black Panther showed up in Civil War before his solo movie. So they could be mm. seeing that. I think. Uh, James Road Rhodey, whose War Machine also has kind of engineering skills. Um, so he's a possibility as well. Uh, and I'd be pretty happy to see him. But Reed Richards feels like the most exciting choice. And why not make the most exciting choice? Yeah, well, clearly this is a show that's been uh, shooting for the moon here. So it's it's definitely been uh, entertaining. I was, as I said before to you before this recording, I was a little critical at the beginning of the show, as it stuck to the parody format for the first you know two or three episodes. But it's really broken out and really had a lot of fun with it. I don't. What, anything else stand out from this last episode? Any other uh, ideas or theories that we haven't mined that we should be mining? I love the. This the, the the sitcom aesthetic in this one particularly because it like it it it's like a nineties noughties kind of thing, and I've forgotten how much I love that whole aesthetic and the tropes of that like the like the troublesome brother in law, um, and so I was like I don't want this episode to end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, definitely harking back to Malcolm in the Middle for me, and I was at least for the first couple of years a pretty big fan of that show, and it was. Nice, nice bit of nostalgia with that creepiness overlaid. So, like I said, very well done episode. Can't wait for the, the last three to get through to, to get some answers. All right, Sean, well, thank you for your time. And thanks for, for uh, humoring me in this episode. You can read his full recap and all the Easter eggs on CNET.com. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge or sign up for direct text messages from me by heading to CNET.co slash Daily Charge. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.